there is a lot of questionable um, research out there that sure. really deserves to be looked up again at. And, and, and you really need to look at who were the authors, who funded it, who, mm-hmm. um, where was it published, who was the editors of that journal. I mean, there's just so many pieces involved in that puzzle. The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective on important societal issues. Produced by Soapbox Media. The world needs evidence-based public policy now more than ever. Making the right decisions should not be partisan politics. Please help spread The Rational View by going to patron.podbean.com slash the rational view together we can make a better future hello and welcome to another episode of the rational view i'm your host dr al scott this episode is based on feedback from a listener who suggested i investigate the science of deutonomics i don't know if you ever heard of that i certainly hadn't deutonomics is looking at the impact of heavy water on health apparently it's a thing Is it a snake oil or is it real? Deuterium is an isotope of hydrogen. An isotope is something that has the same number of protons, but a different number of neutrons. So the mass is different. And hydrogen is typically just a proton. Deuterium has a proton and a neutron. So it's twice as heavy as hydrogen, as normal hydrogen. Uh, Chemically, it should react identical because it has the same number of electrons. And electrons are what confirms your chemical character. But the reaction dynamics can be significantly different due to the big ratio of mass, two to one, of deuterium versus hydrogen. I found an expert on the subject to chat with. This will be interesting. This is a job for the rational view. If you like what you're hearing, please press like on your podcast app. Uh, I'd love to hear you come come give me your opinions and ideas for new podcast episodes on my Facebook group, The Rational View. Dr. Petra Davalar is a naturopathic doctor who specializes in deutonomics. Deutonomics is a new area in science that explores how hydrogen moves through water and other intermediates outside our body. Essentially, humans are electric beings of water fueled by light. Deutonomics seeks to uncover the biochemical and quantum physics of these processes. She completed her naturopathic medical training at Bastyr University and is certified in functional medicine and nutrition. She's an invited reviewer for several scientific periodicals, including Scientific Reports, a Nature Group research journal, as well as Medical Oncology, a Springer journal. Dr. Davilar, welcome to The Rational View. Thank you so much, Al. I really appreciate your interest in deutonomics. Could you give us all just a feeling of your of your background and how you got into naturopathy and then into deutonomics? What what was your pathway and why did you go that way? Yeah, um, very interesting. So I did a lot of things over time. I actually got to medicine at later um, stages of my life. I grew up in the Netherlands. I'm Dutch and I lived there for my first 21 years. Then I moved to New York and um, in New York City and lived there for five, then 20 years outside of that. Uh, I worked in um, music, in television, Saturday Night Live for a few years. Um, I did some fun stuff. Mm -hmm. 
You were on Saturday Night Live? Well, I was, no, 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 I was not on it. I was, (laughs) I was part of the back, you know, back room staff, but uh, yeah, it was actually really fun. It's a very New York experience, you know, back then in 1990. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then, um, became a mom and, um, really, uh, shifted, um, my interest into wellness and why we do the things we do in medicine and, um, nutrition and so forth. And, um, that kind of triggered this, uh, educational process of becoming a naturopathic doctor. I was looking at all the different programs that were out there that were of interest in me. And um, truly uh, I didn't want to just be a nutritionist. And I also didn't want to be a a medical doctor because I knew I wouldn't practice according to their standards. And that will then, you know, most likely you lose your license if you don't do that. So I figured, well, I'm just going to follow my heart and, and practice um, and, and learn to um, be able to practice the medicine that I'm very interested in, which is natural medicine. And so. Could, could you tell me a little bit more about that choice about, you know, the medical doctor versus the naturopathic doctor? What, what pushed you one way or the other? What was behind that? Well, um, because in general, um, the standard of care or, or, or the conventional medicine uses primarily pharmaceuticals to manage um, people's symptoms and they don't actually address the uh, underlying core issues um, or lifestyle, none of that. And um, I uh, am very keen on using medicine and um, natural medicine, so plants, uh, botanicals, um, food, light, all of these that are crucial for our well-being. And that's not really something um, that you can do. So I, I had a good friend who went to medical school and he did his first three years. And we talked about it at length at that time. And he said, well, listen, um, if you're going to go that route, you do understand that you have to shut up for eight years and you cannot you know, um, speak your truth in, in the whole program because you will just be kicked out or it, they'll make it miserable for you. So I thought, okay, well, I don't want that. So, um, uh, I went the other direction. Does that make sense? Yeah. No. And, um, as, as the rational view, you know, typically we're interested in evidence-based procedures. So naturopathics don't usually come up as, as subjects of of the natural, the rational view. How do you feel about that impression of naturopathy as not real science or not based on evidence? Well, this is a great topic you bring up because let's just talk about what we mean when we talk about evidence-based medicine and what is that evidence and how was that evidence created and who paid for it and what were they selling when they were creating that evidence. And if you you know, have looked at the um, ability of um, studies to be repeated um, or or, um, look actually at the clinical um, uh, usefulness of most meta-analyses and so forth, it's really non-existent. So um, there are actually some very interesting papers that have been written about natural medicine, about plant-based interventions that can be extremely useful, but they're always small because, you know, no one's paying for that. And 
um, uh, it comes from, you know, tradition from many old healers and practitioners, um, Chinese medicine and so forth. And, um, you know, there have been some beautiful books written with excellent information and great details of all the constituents in plants. And, um, you know, the beauty of plants is, of course, that they come with all of its cofactors for them to work. And, um, you know, what pharmaceutical industry does, it takes one of those constituents out of a plant with hundreds and then gives a massive amount of that one piece, completely ignoring the fact that maybe those cofactors actually had a role to play and contributed to the properties and the effects of the plan. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really complex. And um, I think um, there's, there's serious issues with the current um, state of research and, and, and the decisions mm -hmm. that we make based on what we are being faced. I don't know if you saw this recent Harvard um, huge scandal where dozens of papers have been falsified by the top administration of, of Harvard. And yeah, it's all just fake information. So this is Harvard. So that's evidence-based yeah. medicine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, there are certainly bad actors in all in all fields that we have to be on the lookout for. Yeah. But in in general, how do you feel about the the methods of science, where whereby you you have to have data to back up claims of efficacy? You have to have you know statistical reproducible data. I mean, this is the the idea of science, and maybe the practice of science isn't always perfect, but it ends up being self-correcting in the long run. How do you feel about, about that postulate, I guess? Oh, I, I totally agree with that. I think it should be that handled that way. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But I think most of it is fraudulent or, yeah, skewed. Mm. Let's put it that way. Okay. Well, let's... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's quite a strong claim. I think most of the people working in science are, are actually quite good people. Um, well, okay, I may I may be overstating that, but I think there is a lot of questionable um, research out there that sure. really deserves to be looked up again at, and and Agreed. and you really need to look at who were the authors, who funded it, who, mm -hmm. um, where was it published, who was the editors of that journal. I mean, there's just so many pieces involved in that puzzle. Yeah, there certainly are a lot of issues with um, ensuring that the proper research gets funded. And if, if the, if the direction of research is driven by certain biases that we, we should definitely look at those biases and challenge them. Yeah. The problem so, is I, we can't make ahead. money off natural interventions, right? So that's why these types of studies are not done and, and not enough of them anyway. Yeah. Well, well, some people do make a lot of money off of selling natural products. <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> Let's get on to the, the topic of this, which is what really got me interested in, in your work is deutonomics. So deutonomics, from what I've researched, postulates that deuterium in water, heavy water, is messing up our metabolism and contributing to chronic disease. Yeah. Uh, now, deuterium, for, for everyone, is a naturally occurring isotope of hydrogen, and it appears at about 150 parts per million in drinking water. Um, so can you maybe give us 
your overview of, of what deutonomics means and why it's important? Yeah. So, um, as you said, deuterium is the stable isotope of hydrogen and, um, it is, uh, um, twice as large as a hydrogen atom and it has twice the weight. And so any molecule that hydrogen and deuterium combines it, it becomes um, semi-heavy water, basically. It's very unusual to have two hydrogens, I mean, two deuterium uh, attached to an oxygen. Um, mm. But it, it changes the properties of any molecule that that's part of. So... Um, the foods we eat is actually one of the most important pieces of this. And uh, the deuterium content of foods vary greatly. Um, it, it is the quality of the, the hydrogens um, and the, the lack of deuterium in that food that um, actually fuels our mitochondria and um, uh, determines the quality and the um, quantity of your own deuterium depleted metabolic water that you create in mitochondria because okay, so before we move on let's let's define a lot of these terms because this is new to a lot of people so um what's metabolic water yeah so um actually there's three important um aspects to the, the functions of mitochondria and the main ones in the first one um, would be uh, the production of ATP that we're all familiar with. The other one is the production Energy. of heat. And then the third one is um, the production of deuterium depleted metabolic water. Most people don't know that we produce our own uh, metabolic water. And um, this water is very special because if it's low of deuterium, um, it uh, allows for cellular function to be optimal. And if, but if we were getting a lot of deuterium into the, our bodies, this is where um, things start backing up. And once deuterium is at too high of the levels and it enters into the uh, mitochondrial matrix, um, it will uh, try to get out through to the um, uh, via the ATP synthase, um, and if because of its size, it will destroy these very delicate nanomotors that spin at nine thousand uh, rotations per minute, um, and that then jams it up, and mitochondria break down. Um, so th this this let's let's dig into this a little bit more because okay. this is interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, now a lot of people I certainly didn't know that mitochondria have processes that uh, remove deuterium from the water. So how does it remove deuterium from the water? So this is um, uh, basically all the biochemical pathways that you may have heard of, glycolysis and the TCA cycle. Um, they're there to prevent deuterium from entering mitochondria. So glycolysis has all these reactions 
And um, the isomerase reactions actually remove very specific exchange, very specific hydrogens upon a structure with a if it's a deuterium, a deuteron attached to it, it will exchange that in the from with hydrogen from the cytoplasm. And so if all of those reactions are there to prevent deuterium from entering. Um, the mitochondria. And then the TCA cycle itself has all these water exchange reactions. There's four places where this happens. And again, it's, it's the goal is to prevent, um, deuterium from entering. So, um, the matrix. And so that's, um, key to it. This is how our body does that. And then there's many other pathways as well, but these are the main ones that, that, you know, um, we talk about and discuss and, and, are clear. and so this is a um, a process of of taking is it carbohydrates or taking sugars and breaking them down basically and yeah. then um but there's actually isotopic specific reactions that happen in the mitochondria which is yeah. you, know, you don't expect this uh, you know at first at first glance you expect most chemistry to proceed independent of the isotopic composition of of the compounds but because deuterium has much stronger bonds because of its mass yeah. than hydrogen, it yeah. can actually be selectable in certain reactions. And not, you know, I wasn't aware of this. And why would this come about? Evolutionarily speaking, why do mitochondria uh, isolate deuterium? And what I found looking at the literature is that actually the presence of deuterium uh, interferes with cell division in mm -hmm. in DNA, for example. Mm -hmm. um, if you get deuterium the the sort of hydrogen bonds are much stronger than in your heavy water than in in regular water and it interferes with cell division and you know you, you can drink heavy water uh and it's not going to kill you right away but it's going to interfere with cell division in fact uh, i was looking at looking it up the other day and it was something like you have to replace 25 percent of the water in your body with heavy water before it's going to stop you from reproducing but you go much beyond that and it'll actually kill you because your cells will just all stop uh, splitting at, at some point. Um, so the, I think the, the question of the science of deuteronomics is at what point does this become a problem for health? So maybe you could go into that a little bit. Yeah. So um, once deuterium starts collecting and in into the cellular structures, it actually forces um, cell division. Um, and that's why it is also known as an oncoisotope, um, because of its size. And it also causes, um, irregular amounts of chromosomes. And, um, this is that whole process that causes this transformation to cancer. Um, does that make sense? Is that what you've been reading about as well? Or I did, yeah. Hear something like that that yeah the the, the deuterium inter, interferes with DNA replication and mitosis in it, some ways yeah. and part of that is multiple chromosomes. Yeah, it drives cell division. It causes exactly that. Um, so exactly what that point is, um, we don't know. But a good guess is that we're trying to keep the level of deuterium in our bodies. Um, at about 130 parts per, mil per million or below, um, slightly below around that area. If you go too high, um, you're not able to s excrete the excess levels 
efficiently through either too much is coming in or you're not sleeping well, there's too much stress or you're not getting enough sunlight, um, you're not moving enough, you're not um, uh, getting enough oxygen, you know, breathing right. All of these pieces play a role. Um, and then it starts collecting into your tissues. And if there's a certain threshold reached, it can s- cause any form of mitochondrial dysfunction. So it's not just um, cancer, but it can also contribute to the, um, you know, the diabetes epidemic that we see. It can contribute to cardiovascular disease, neurodegeneration, um, all, all chronic issues that we're seeing currently um, in the world are uh, as a result of this accumulation or what we call decumulation uh, of excess deuterium coming in from food. That's a a strong claim. Is there, is there statistical evidence to back up the the link between deuterium and chronic illness? Yeah, there is. There's papers published on it. Um, I have them all listed on my website and I refer you to that, but yes, there is. Mm -hmm. From my research, uh, and there are review papers out there, very recent review papers actually, mm-hmm. on this topic. Uh, and there was a, a paper published a year ago in the International Journal of Molecular Science entitled uh, Emerging Role of Deuterium-Proteum Disbalance in Cell Cycle and Apoptosis. Uh, so that's a big mouthful and a lot of confusing words. A- cell cycle uh, is your cell's living cycle yep. and apoptosis is programmed cell death, death, which is very important in regulating cancer. Effectively, when cells mess up their DNA, they're programmed to kill themselves. And um, cancer is a, when when that apoptosis is screwed up, the cells don't kill themselves and they reproduce without end. And apparently there is some emerging evidence that lower, that deuterium depleted water uh, activates apoptosis in malignant cells. So it actually causes cancer cells to kill themselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And th- you know, this is backed up with a few small studies. So this is mm-hmm. very interesting, breaking mm-hmm. scientific news as far as I, I was completely unaware of this. Yeah. And it also has the reverse function in healthy cells in that it doesn't kill them. It actually reduces DNA damage and free radical production in normal tissues. So that was totally unexpected to me. I was, you know, I'm as a scientist, I'm very skeptical of new and out and and strong claims. So you know, I'm always looking for debunking of deutonomics. And really, I don't think there is any debunking of this yet. We're still in the exploratory stage of what this actually could be doing. But the the initial research that I found seems actually to support the fact that this works against cancer. Mm-hmm. So that's very interesting. I mean, there's decades of research, honestly, Al, and and I want to um, let's step back for a second. So um, I want to explain first. So deuteronomus was coined by Dr. Laszlo Boros in 2019. Um, at the uh, Budapest Conference of Deuterium Depletion, and that was um, organized by um, Gabor Shumiae. And he, um, in fact, in 1990, wrote his first book about deuterium depletion. Um, in 2015, it was published, I think, in 2016, the submolecular regulation um, 
uh, of mitochondria. That was the paper that was published by Dr. Borosh and colleagues, including Gabor Shomyai. Um, and that really uh, was the first paper that very um, precisely described the, pre the exact mechanisms by which um, our bodies deplete deuterium. And that is that process of the, the TCA cycle as well as um, glycolysis. So it, it's perfectly detailed in there. And in that paper, they um, very much connect this dysfunction to all chronic disease. So I encourage you to, to look at that. Um, but, but truly uh, in, in 1990 was the first paper that really, um, that was a uh, study done by Gabo Shamye, and that first introduced this whole concept of that deuterium is the um, uh, the, the the factor that causes the um, the cellular division to happen, and um, and so there have been many papers published since. Um, there are new ones coming out. There's actually a couple of them that are fascinating that are currently. Um, in the final stages of peer review, and I look forward for you to send those to you so you can um, uh, catch up on that because every paper is better and gets more detailed and mm. and um, uh, better understanding of how all of these mechanisms are. This is a new science, as you have discovered, and um, mm -hmm. there is uh, much still to be um, specifically uh detailed and figured out, you know, so, so really what, what you can think of as deuterium, it is important as, uh, as a, a structural component, but it destroys moving proteins. So we need deuterium for connective tissue. It's, it's very important for bone and, um, any connective tissue really. Um, really, so, that's interesting. Yeah, but moving proteins, it can destroy it. So it would, um, it, it'll it, affect how they fold. The proteins fold, and it can affect the activity of their active sites because it's got a different uh, bond strength than regular hydrogen. Right. So the 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 strength to break a bond from deuterium and carbon is between seven to fifteen times as difficult to break. So okay, if we want to relate that down, for instance, to cholesterol, let's say that. So um, that's 27 carbons, 44 hydrogens. Um, what happens is if the sunshine, um, the UVB, shines on your skin and then it starts resonating the hydrogen bonds that are attached to the um, carbons and that um, at, at the right amount, it will open up the um, the bonds between carbon nine and 10, and you get the steroid or vitamin D, the precursor. So that's, um, that won't happen if there's a deuterium atom attached, deuteron attached to that particular carbon structure, and then you, you will not. So um, that's one way, for instance, you can think about it. It's the same for any um, um, sugars that are made up for the DNA backbone. And if there are deuterons attached to it, the shape will be different of the, um, of the DNA. And so it's, we're not just talking about the genetic information, but we're also talking about that structure then. And that alone can cause these epigenetic expression that, you know, you can't measure for, but it's there because of the deuterium. Mm, yeah. Mm. So those are some You mentioned examples. something earlier about food having differing levels of deuterium. Mm -hmm. 
Now, that is something that was unexpected to me. How does food have different, differing levels of deuterium in it? Well, because it contains water, lots of, um, and hydrogen, right? Ultimately, that, mm -hmm. that's what it comes down to. So, um, out of all of the ma major food groups, fats, carbohydrates, and proteins, the fats actually have the lowest deuterium content. Um, so this is the power of the ketogenic diet. This is why but that so, works. So, so why well. though? Why do fats have low deuterium content? It's these structures of carbons with um, with hydrogens attached to it, and um, so, but it, it's because it's biologically created in other animals that have the same mitochondrial processes that are taking deuterium out of the yes the structures the atp is is depleted in deuterium as long as they were fed a um authentic diet and lived in their you know supposed habitat so animals that are grown in um you know these giant feeding um structures and never go outside and get grains the composition of their fatty acids in in that of the foods that they produce whether it's the, the protein or the dairy that comes from them is higher in deuterium than those from grass-fed animals that's been published in 2022 it's a great paper so that makes a difference. Um, and um, so let's just go over that. So fats are the lowest. Then you have animal proteins, again, as long as they were naturally um, raised and with respect to their heritage. Um, then green vegetables, because of the process of photosynthesis, that's always also a depleting mechanism. Um, and then you kind of start hitting right around the 150 um, ppm, which is what most water is, drinking water is. And that depends on where you go and whether it's spring water from high up the mountains and so forth. But in for most of us, um, it's about 150 ppm. Um, so fruits then come in and they are higher in deuterium and then grains as well. And then depending on how foods are produced in the level of um, processing that takes place and the kind of fatty acids that are in them, they start going up in deuterium contents and GMO makes a difference. Um, that's kind of how, how the whole progression I, I can understand um, the difference between uh, animal-created proteins and animal-created fats from, say, a laboratory process, which is, just, which is not fractionating D2O out of, the, out of the incoming products. I could see that there would be a difference in, in deuterium content between, like, an artificial fat, like a, you know, margarine for example mm -hmm. versus butter um i can see that if you know if you have these biological processes that mm -hmm. are um fractionating deuterium that seems to make sense i am not really clear on on the the natural versus in a barn impacts on how deuterium gets fractionated differently in those cases um or you know grass fed versus green fed is that the the, yeah, the source of the that's difference. That's exactly right. Yeah. So if if um, a grass fed animal that lives outside um, becomes a different food for you because of its uh, uh, its makeup, 
um, uh, because you eat what they ate. You know, that's basically how that goes. So grain fed animals um, tend to fatten further. They, it, the balance shifts between omega sixes and omega threes. Um, and that's, that's why, uh, you know, an omega three, um, is different for us. The saturated fat content is, is, is changes. And that's ultimately, um, what makes the quality of, uh, and the level of deuterium of those animals different. Mm. So there, there's some evidence emerging that deuterium plays an important role in health. Um, do do people uh, are people suggesting that we should be drinking deuterium depleted water instead of uh, tap water? Is that something that is is recommended for health? Well, it it depends. I think the primary um, uh, way to address this is with food. Um, if you are in a health crisis and if you've, for instance, received a cancer diagnosis, um, it may be very beneficial for you to try and drastically and quickly drop your deuterium level. Um, and in that case, yeah, it would make sense to drink deuterium depleted water um, for a period of time. Yeah. Is that something that is available commercially? Can you get deuterium depleted water? And if so, is it really deuterium depleted or is it snake oil? Well, um, the companies that I know that produce it is really deuterium depleted and that has been tested by analytical third party labs and that gets tested all the time. Um, every, every batch that is made, for instance, by Clarivia and Lightwater is tested for their deuterium contents and they have the paperwork on that. So yeah. Um, it's I see oil. an industry here working with the can do nuclear reactors to, remove deuterium from the water to support the nuclear reactors mm -hmm. and uh, also de develop uh, deuterium depleted water as a, as a byproduct. Yep, that's exactly right. And there's been whole batches of that on, on, released on the market under certain names. And, you know, that's questionable, right? But um, um, yeah, so this water is depleted. You can also try and get optimal spring water that is generally lower in deuterium levels as well. That, however, is not therapeutic. We really think of a water that's around 125 parts per million is, is a wellness water. And to actually achieve therapeutic benefit, you need to go to as low as 105 or 85 or 65 and so forth. Um, generally, the water is being sold in even lower concentration at 10 ppm or 25 ppm and that's done because it's so expensive to ship of course and um, it makes more sense to have a, a lower concentrate that you can then dilute with another quality water and drink the desired mm. amount yeah. I, i've i read one paper that was looking at um you know the impacts of of drinking deuterium depleted water and deuterium drinking deuterium-enhanced water, and it, it showed that in both cases, it actually stimulated the thyroid <clears throat> over the first couple weeks, and a lot of it was due to just the the the, um, the gradient of, of, of deuterated versus non-deuterated mm -hmm. in, the, in the cells versus mm -hmm. the, the blood mm -hmm. was causing 
changes in, in how cells operated. And, and at a certain point, it was causing inflammation, uh, just the difference. And like it was, I think the, the re researchers said that the first 14 days had a stimulating effect, but then it dropped off significantly after that. So um, obviously a, a play, uh, an area that you might want to be careful about doing it for long periods of time. Is there any evidence that it's good over long periods of time or is it just something you'd want to do over a short term? Um, I, the best evidence and the long-term evidence that we have comes from Dr. Shomiae and he has been cycling the water over periods of time. And so you take breaks and then you go on again. And it's also important to kind of change the PPM of the water that you use. So a system doesn't get used to just one particular um, PPM. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and I think there's also a case to be made to not drop too steeply because that has consequences and, and you will feel it. Um, so, um, going slow and going mindful makes the most sense. Um, and mm. it really also depends on your body weight. It depends on your, uh, amount that you consume, um, and what you want to achieve with why you would consume it. If you are, um, really having a, uh, a serious diagnosis that you are dealing with, then it's important that you get some guidance to figure out how to do that well and, and achieve, um, the depletion rate that you really are trying to go after. It's very, very interesting stuff. Um, so you are, as a, as a naturopath, are you prescribing this to your patients? Yeah, in some of them, I am. Yeah, I, I work with the entire, um, you know, reach of, of interventions that we know will help um, regulate deuterium in the body. It's not just about depletion, but it's also about regulation more so. Um, but in some situations, you really need to deplete quite quickly. And, you know, we've been fortunate to be able to measure some of the levels. And it's clear that um, uh, the severity of some of the um, diagnoses and the presentations of the cancers correlates with the level of deuterium that um, mm. the patients have in their system. Yeah, no, and this is uh, just for listeners, you know, this is... I, I came into this expecting this not to be a thing. You know, this is what I do as a as a scientist and a skeptic is to is to be skeptical and yeah. look for debunking and and you know to be told by a naturopath that um, this is this is you know science and this is actually proven is often goes the other way, shall I say, in my research. But this time, I think uh, there is a nugget of truth to this. And there are good scientific papers out there in reasonable journals that are showing that this is really, um, really having an impact on cancer. Mm -hmm. I think the, the association with chronic disease doesn't seem to be as strongly supported by the, uh, evidence. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, I don't know what, what what's your opinion of, of the association between deuterium and, and chronic disease? There's not a, a, a large breadth of papers published on that. You're absolutely right. But we know that the cause of um, most chronic disease is mitochondrial dysfunction. And so if you're logically you know, deducing from the, the fact that, my, that deuterium 
you know, destroys or, or really significantly impacts mitochondrial function, then it's clear that you can um, make that connection. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. So thank you so much for coming and, and chatting with us about deutonomics. Is, is there any last uh, words you'd like to share with listeners about, about this work, about uh, what's coming up next, what we should be on the lookout for or where we should go research if we want to learn more? Yeah. Um, there's, there's some really great papers coming out soon. There's one particular that is um, about the um, importance of being in a ketogenic state when climbing Mount Everest um, and that is because you facilitate the uh, production of metabolic water and, and, and you're able to recycle the um, oxygen um, in your tissues through peroxisome and mitochondrial crosstalk. And um, this, uh, it, it's utterly fascinating. And this paper um, also for the first time, um, discusses how, uh, the energy produced from the synthesis of the metabolic water is approximately 10 times that of ATP synthesis. So, um, we're talking 280 kilojoules of energy versus, um, about between 20 and 30 from ATP. So it's a very significant um, uh, paper. It's a hypothesis, but um, the calculations were done um, and, and this is what the data shows. And so um, it, it's a fascinating paper because it, it really um, explains so well the importance of, of um, regulating deuterium in the body in order to perform at high levels yeah. in all ways. So that's, that's a really fun part. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to more research coming out on this topic and, and learning more about it. Everyone stay skeptical. Yep, but, uh, <laughs> absolutely. Don't take my don't, word for it. Don't yeah. be fooled. Go look at it yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I agree. I totally agree. For, uh, for spending time and coming to chat with me, uh, Petra, I'd love to send you a, a Rational View t-shirt if you'd like. Uh, so <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. I for, look forward for to that. For coming on the show. Okay. Take care. If you'd like to follow up with more in-depth discussions, please come find us on Facebook at The Rational View and join our discussion group. If you like what you're hearing, please consider visiting my Patreon page at patreon.podbean.com slash the rational view. Thanks for listening.